You are listening to It's Midnight Somewhere with DJs Mistress McCutcheon and The Wasteland. It's midnight somewhere. It's midnight. It's midnight somewhere. Here we are at episode 11. I am Mistress McCutcheon. I am joined by my usual DJ partner in crime, The Wasteland. And today we have a special guest on the show. It is my BFF from Brooklyn. Please welcome Derek Rush, musician, artist, and all around awesome human being. Oh, thanks, Laura. And thanks, Jay. (laughs) Thank you both for having me on. Yeah, no problem. So why don't you, for those who aren't familiar with you, Derek, introduce what you do and what you have done. My name is Derek Rush, as Laura said. I guess I'm here because I make music, and I've been making music since I was a kid, but I didn't, wasn't taking it, I guess, seriously until a bit later in life. And uh, like I had taken music classes, but they didn't really gel with me, so I had to figure out my own way of making music and uh, not think about it in, in traditional ways, I guess. Uh, although I learned some of those on my own time. Uh, I eventually put out a tape under my own name, which probably almost nobody has, a hundred people or so. Uh, Then I I did a project called December, which which didn't last very long for reasons. Then I did a project that lasted a lot longer called Dream Into Dust, Um, also a few other things like A Murder of Angels, and uh, Dreaming to Dust was my main deal for years, but I, it's been on, I'm not going to say it's dead forever, but it's been on, on hiatus, I guess, since uh, 2012. In late 2011, I became the sysadmin of a project called Compactor, which started out as an experimental noise project and has sort of grown to be something um, a bit broader than that. There's a lot of different kinds of noise. There's rhythmic noise, or some people call it power noise. There's, you know, you could have drone noise, you have ambient noise, uh, harsh noise wall. The project has gone through a lot of different changes, basically focusing on things that are generally atonal. And that's mostly what's been going on, uh, besides uh, that I've been running a little label off and on for a few years called Chthonic Streams. That is the correct way to pronounce it. Most people don't know because it's, I chose a name that was so ridiculous that uh, nobody can spell it and keep making, <laughs> mixing it up with H.P. Lovecraft. And here Which we are. Which is why I remember how to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> Except that it's not spelled the same way. It's C-H-T-H. No, it, it's not, but it gets, it's close enough that I get there, right? And no apostrophes because Lovecraft loved to throw gratuitous uh, apostrophes between everything that he wrote. Yeah. Just like a lot of people throw in gratuitous umlauts. Oh, yeah. Yes. Death in gin. <laughs> I have one of those December cassettes. I think that's back when I met you and that was new. Oh. Which is now saying that we're both really old. <laughs> mm. Ooh, now we have outro music. It's a good thing my... my Everybody's going to hear it. I uh, should I should have mic'd up my uh, my knee bones so we could have gotten some good good <laughs> creaking on the podcast. Oi. <laughs> anyway, so that's uh All right. yeah, that's 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 who I am such as it is and why I'm here. 
which is part of why we want to interview you. I mean, you've you've done a lot of different things. And with the recent project uh, that's been the spotlight being Compactor, there's been a lot of different conceptual pieces that have come out of Compactor. You do a lot of specialized, sort of limited edition uh, runs of of pieces. Because what was the the latest one that you put together? Uh, the latest for the one. Sysadmin? Yeah, the latest one. Um, for those who might be confused about me saying sysadmin, I just let me get this out of the way right now. Uh, <laughs> a sysadmin, a systems administrator, supposedly the person behind the scenes who takes care of the technical things. Uh, in theory, the person who is working the compactor, the compactor is a machine or a series of machines that are obsolete and end up making these noises. The person who runs these things is just known as the worker uh, who has no uh, identity, is always masked in a uniform, uh, doing the work in front of people. Uh, that's, that's the story, and then I'm sticking to it. The, uh, as you were asking about the latest thing, the latest release, it's called Temporary State, and uh, I guess what's a little odd about it is that it, it comes in the form of a folder uh, like if you're going to be working at, as an office temp, um, a lot of temp agencies have these packets <clears throat> of materials that they give you that are to, you know, like an orientation package. Hi, welcome to our company. Your life is going to be very boring right now. You're going to live in fear of getting a call for a job that you don't want or not getting a call for a job at all or uh, working for a couple of days and then being cut uh, of not having health care. All kinds of, of fun stuff like that. So uh, this is it's kind of a uh, a serious but uh, slightly sarcastic uh, look at that that world hmm. uh, in the packaging. So you get a, a a whole sort of orientation booklet, you know, which is a a, a seven page stapled piece of paper that go through uh, different aspects of working for the company, which are basically the titles of each of the tracks. It also comes with a name tag and a, uh, a business card, and, uh, of course, the CD. Uh, the music only comes on a CD because, of course, if it were not on the CD, then it would be susceptible to being copied and so forth. So, you know, there's, there's, there's reasons behind my doing all kinds of odd things like that for each, each release. Yeah, and I think it's, it's very telling uh, being temporary state and considering the current state we are in right now uh, and how that all came together. That's that's um, accidental um, because the uh, the material on on this uh, CD was created and recorded or initially created and, and planned out during the second half of last year, and it was originally supposed to come out in December of last year. But it turned out that uh, recordings that were made out in the field uh, during the live shifts of Compactor were not good enough and they had to be redone um some basically some before quarantine and a little bit after so once everything was finally done it was kind of like on the one hand it was like should this even be released now does anybody care uh you know here's here here's a noise cd of power electronics and and stuff you know um and it comes with this package and then I'm like, no actually it's kind of frighteningly apropos and uh up to the minute in terms of uh things being temporary in terms of temporary work um you know 
people are looking, I'm looking for work. And, uh, you know, we're being pointed uh, almost invariably to um, essential worker roles, shall we say. <laughs> right. Uh, which, which is something that's, that's generally thought of as being a, a, a temp job. Uh, you know, something you work at, uh, you know, when you're, when you're a teenager, when you're in college, you know, that's why we don't pay you a lot of money for that. That's, that's, right. that's the idea, except that a lot of people end up doing that, uh, those kinds of jobs uh, all their life. And then they can't, they can't support themselves because uh, we don't have a good enough minimum wage in the United States. Or really anywhere. Or healthcare. I, I or work any one of those jobs, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's not funny. Yeah. Yeah. I laugh because if I don't, I'll probably cry. But um, yeah, exactly, exactly. Valid. That's 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 why we art as well. That's why it's sort of like you know I have to. This has to be released now, otherwise, what am I going to wait until this is all over? Like people keep saying things like that. When this is all over, will really? Do you know when that's going to be? Because I don't. Don't pretend that you do. I don't think anybody does. And you don't. And we don't know what's going to happen. You know when when it's all over, if and when it's all over. Right. Yeah. I mean, as as far as I can see on the other side of this, which is the other phrase people use, I mean, we're guilty of using that here as well. But on the other side of this, I think our lives have changed forever because everything that was ever broken about our society has come to light and we need to fix that shit. Otherwise, it's going to go in a really fucked up direction and this isn't going to end very well. Yeah. I mean, it already has, you know. It's almost like a couple of months of people sitting around at home uh, gave them time to realize all the faults and cracks in the system. And now they're like, we need to fix this. Yeah, it depends. There's, 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 uh, you know, there's almost as many viewpoints about this stuff as there are people in the world. Um, you know, I've seen people arguing on, on multiple sides, even if you want to try to reduce the socio-political spectrum to simply left and right, uh, those are still very broad strokes, and you're going to find people at different points, um, at different points between the two, or, uh, you know, further away from the center or closer. So, uh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people angry and fighting from, from, from any number of points of view about any number of things, probably, possibly more than ever now. That's what it feels like anyway. Absolutely. So to bridge this back to music, what would your point of view be on differences between like the goth scene, so to speak, and the noise scene? And if there's any overlap anymore, because I know rhythmic noise crossed over for a bit there, but yeah, it's funny. It's hard to, to discuss these things uh, in a, in a vacuum uh, in a way, because uh, it kind of depends on what country you're talking about uh, when you're talking about goth versus noise versus industrial. I mean, uh, the way I know Laura is from the goth and industrial scenes in New York City. Uh, so, you know, as far as, as noise, uh, you know, a lot of people who have just heard of Compactor and me through that, uh, you know, aren't aware that, you know, I play other kinds of music and have done other kinds of things and that I came up through that kind of thing. But, you know, I'm not sure how much overlap there is in, in America. It's, it's a little bit more segmented. I would say here there's a lot, goth is kind of a state of mind and it's often a phase, unfortunately, that people go through 
um, usually in their teens, maybe into their 20s. Uh, it really depends. And, and it might only last a couple of years for some people. I, I think it's a, it's a touchstone for people, and it may be for people who later are into noise. You know, people come into things from different, from different angles. Uh, I mean, noise in some ways, there's a couple different ways that the whole noise scene or more importantly, the noise music comes out of. In, in, in one sense, it's a branching off. I'm, now I'm going to get arguments from people about this. In one sense, there's a branching off from the original industrial stuff. Uh, you know, what Throbbing Gristle was doing was very noise. Uh, you know, on the other hand, there's people that look at noise as being a tradition that stretches back much further to uh, John Cage and Conlon Nancaro and all the way back to blanking on his name, uh, Luigi Russolo, uh, who literally, you know, wrote the manifesto of the art of noises. So, you know, it's like even goth itself, you know, what strain, how much of it comes from punk and how much comes from the more, you know, neoclassical side, the romantic side of things, you know, and you could argue about that till you're blue in the face as well. And, uh, you know, it just depends on how people define themselves. But um, mostly of what's called the noise scene and noise people today, uh, there's certainly people that may consider themselves still goths or definitely were goths in high school in their 20s. Um, a lot of people, it seems, in, in, in the U.S. anyway, especially as you head further out into more uh, away from the cities, uh, Noise is a bigger crossover and uh, farming ground from punk. Uh, so things are a, a bit different there. You know, when you've got people like me who came to noise, I mean, I knew noise and was doing things that were noisy since I was a kid and since I was reading about Throbbing Gristle and Non and all of that stuff um, and, and hearing it, you know, it was experimental. It was noise, whether, you know, I knew what the names were or not. I was going to say, uh, it's funny that you're describing how goth is sort of this phase and then people fall out of it and, and get interested in other things or discover noise later. Or at what point do people come into that particular scene? And I mean, it kind of makes sense to, to bring all these different, you know, these different tribes together, so to speak. Absolutely. Uh, because if you subdivide the subdivision of the subdivision of the subdivision, you have like, what, four people at a show. So yeah. it's kind of tough that way. And especially when you get into smaller towns, when uh, when a band comes through, you end up seeing everybody at that show because that's the thing to do. And it doesn't matter if it's like goth industrial noise, whatever, uh, whatever the thing is. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I don't know, we could come back to this later, or I could just jump into it now, since you brought it up. Uh, I was in Vermont, uh, Burlington, Vermont, and it was actually a show on a tour that I was the most concerned about, because when I was talking to my friend there, Life Hunneman, who does um, a noise project called uh, State Vector Collapse, he was helping me book the show. And I said, well, who is around there? How do we do this? What can we do? And he said, well, Burlington is the home of the Burlington Sound. This is where hate breed came from. And I went, oh boy, how are we going to do this show? And I was concerned when I showed up. I was like, I don't 
know what's going to happen with this because the the headlining band i like them but i mean it was basically a they were billed as sort of doom slash crust punk and i I liked what i heard it was really good i was like yeah get them the headline absolutely uh and compactor and state vector collapse and we had somebody that we knew who uh, had been spinning goth and industrial to dj in between i was like this will be an interesting one and lo and behold uh show happens and just basically every freak half black clad whatever in town within and beyond the town for a radius of miles came to the show and they didn't just come for gorkro they watched and enjoyed all of it and they bought stuff because it's like you said you can't subdivide such a tiny crowd there's no space for any of that bullshit there's no cutting up between say well we're the crust punks over here and you're the goths over there uh you know there wasn't any of that it was like this is all the same you know it's it's really cool and i've noticed another uh, another thing goth has ended up in its age where it is now and has been for a couple of years i feel like people end up just using it as shorthand for all that dark stuff like if you're if if you're if you're a lifer you're a person who generally dresses in black and this is kind of how you are and you like this kind of music people just go yeah you know we're goths they just say goths whether they mean gothic music or industrial music noise music all of these things are just together and it's like yeah we all came through the goth scene because that's what we knew you know in our town or, or whatever so yeah that's a really good point as well uh that it's a shorthand because that and the other thing that's funny about uh about the scene is that it goes through phases of things that are popular. And I mean, for some of us who are lifers, we've seen a lot of different phases and changes because I think people do want something different. People do want something new. You're always going to have the crowd that wants to hear the same Sisters of Mercy song every week and whatever, let them have it. Yep, Jay is making appropriate gestures right now, (laughs) which nobody can see because this is a podcast and it's not a video. But um, there's there tends to be phases of of things within the scene, like when cyber goth became really huge in 2000. It was exciting because it was new and it was like, oh, okay, the uh, goth kids went to the rave and all that collided together and the fashion changed and the music changed. And I know Toronto was very much at the forefront of EBM and all that kind of music. But now that it seems like some of that has really uh some of that has subsided and then there's more of a post-punk resurgence. There's more of a death rock resurgence happening. And again, you can see it in the styling. You can hear it in a lot of the bands that are popular right now or a lot of newer bands that are coming out. And it kind of goes back and forth. I mean, we're also kind of going through a dark techno thing right now because that seems to be really popular around a lot of different uh, a lot of different cities where it kind of blends in with that darker aesthetic and the shorthand that encompasses all the dark kind of music. Yeah, and and that's really great because uh, any kind of techno would have been anathema back in the day when you and I met. In fact, I remember they used to uh, literally play fast hardcore techno. Maybe it wasn't at quite at speedcore level but uh bpms but uh you know the the way to get rid of the goths when it was time to close was to put on really fast loud techno and turn the lights on like gabber <laughs> it was like yeah. it was everybody gabber. everybody would just run screaming because you know suddenly <clears throat> everyone could see that your foundation wasn't on correctly 
<laughs> but it's true. It's true. I mean, I remember in the late 90s, people that I worked with that were, we were preparing to make our way to the Batcave that weekend and they were getting ready to go to Twilo or the tunnel. Which is cool. So, I mean, I, I, I appreciated it. I, I, I liked, uh, I liked that that Limelight had that that mix of stuff. I I I really miss that. I don't. There's. I've been to very few places that have had that kind of a vibe and mix. You know, of a, of multiple rooms of really different, not just like subgenres of one subgenre, but like a whole bunch of different things. Like, oh, this room is goth, and this room is industrial, and that room is techno, and and up upstairs, then we have some really you know chill, dark ambient thing happening. The variety is really cool. I would have turned my nose up at techno back in the 90s, absolutely 100%. But nowadays, as I was telling Jay uh, on the last podcast, when you want that dirty 230 song to come on where you're just you're getting drunk and you just want to dance your ass off and you're just having a good time and you just you you're being driven by that beat and it just feels great. And I appreciate that now. There's been a great crossover um, with techno and what's general like in the techno scene as well they've been talking about it um they haven't been saying goth as much but they've been saying industrial you know people are using the phrase industrial techno or ebm techno or or it's saying that things have gothic stylings you know there are artists like yeah. headless horseman and uh silent servant i think i'm i'm not sure i think silent servant might actually be you know, one of us, you know, like he grew up on Joy Division, which is why his album covers look like that. And uh, yeah, a bunch of other other artists uh, that are, they're blending these things. It's like, it's techno, but it's also overloaded. So it's heading into rhythmic noise, but it's it's spooky and has all this reverb. So it's kind of, you know, goth, like it's in a cathedral or something. It's it's, it's A, a lot it's of them are tagging time. it dark wave. A lot of them yeah. are tagging it now dark wave. Oh, so that's interesting. I don't know if I Yeah, can yeah, have, it's something but... <laughs> I'm just noticing on Bandcamp. A lot of them are tagging it as dark wave. And dark wave is always a different sound, but I think they're kind of uh taking the term for themselves. Yeah, it's difficult because I've known I've personally known two different people who have who are some of the originators of that phrase. And uh <laughs> One of them, Laura knows. I don't know if Jay, you certainly know of him. It would be uh, Sam of a project because he had the uh, started the project slash dark wave uh, mail order, and and I mm -hmm. think that's the the way that most people came to think of it. But uh, before that, there were uh, dark wave nights. It was two words, dark wave, in New York City, and it was put on by a couple of people. Um, David and Renee, and I forget their last names, and I haven't heard from them in years. But shout out to them, uh, especially uh, David, um, who was the main DJ of the night and uh, was putting on those nights. And was spinning not just, it was basically like, I'm going to do a night that from the outside it would be called goth, but to the other goth would be like, what is this? Oh, this is Death in June. Oh, okay. What is this? Oh, this is... Um, I don't know. I can't think of any other names. Just just even playing Death in June in a, in a goth club in the 90s in uh, America was probably like, what are you doing? This is not, sure. you know, yeah. this is not the sisters. This is not Susie. This is not uh, Rosetta Stone. Um, so that was an odd thing. So, sure. um, but then Dark Wave sort of became a genre, you know, and, uh, you know, whenever somebody says that, I think, so bands like Dinalakayan. I, I don't know if that's correct or not, but that to me is like they're like one of the flagship bands. 
you know, uh, I, I would hypothesize that, at least from my viewpoint, that came from the combination of, what, uh, of, of factors in places like New York City, where you're trying to have a goth club, you're trying to have an industrial club, you're trying to have a new wave club. Guess what? Rent is expensive. Uh, putting on shows is expensive. So these three fairly, well, very different genres end up being housed in one roof, under one roof, maybe on different floors, maybe on the same floor, and having just DJs bumping up against each other. So there are people that grew up that their first exposure was a combination of goth industrial and new wave and even industrial. We're really talking about EBM. So yeah. uh, those th three things come together. People just think, well, that's all the same kind of music. I'm going to start a band and it's going to have the romanticism of goth. It's going to have the beats of industrial and it's going to have the synths from new wave, you know, and that's, that's, that's the way I see it. That that's th sounds as a like genre, you were describing the pyramid with all three under one roof. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Pyramid is, well, it would still be going if, if it was allowed to be open. I know I know some people who, who work there uh, and they awesome. still get calls. Are you open? No. Go home. Wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, it's funny that you brought up Darkwave Nights because there was also a, there was also a club event in Montreal called Darkwave Nights that spun mm. an eclectic mix. And it was at a club called Saphir on St. Laurent, which isn't there anymore. But uh, yeah. but it was a fun night. And I've, I've spun there several years back. Uh, and, and yeah, it was a very big mix of like, okay, this DJ, you're going to get this kind of music. This DJ, you're going to get this kind of music, but it's all under one roof. Nice. And it was fantastic. It was just a lot of fun to just go out, go dancing, wear your outfit that makes you feel good and all that kind of stuff. But sure, I want to sure. circle back because you had mentioned small town and a show in Vermont. Mm -hmm. Now compactor does shows. They don't, they're not called shows. They're live shifts because it's the worker performing a, a live shift on various, right. the worker is the worker is working a shift in front of other people, hence it's right, a live right, shift. with various equipment on a table and all sorts of things going on within the performance. You've done live shifts in Vermont. You've done them in Brooklyn. You've come up to Toronto. Uh, you've done a couple here in in Canada. Uh, so you've been you've been touring. Yeah, more more times. places than that, but yeah, um, in the before times. Oh, wow, it's depressing. Um, yeah, I, I, it's funny because, uh, I've been getting all these, uh, Facebook, um, memories popping up, showing all of the, uh, touring pictures from summer's past. Cause I find that to be a really enjoyable time to tour. Cause then you're not, um, lugging gear through the snow or things like that. Um, it's hot as balls, but <laughs> other than that, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So I've, I, I didn't used to be such a, a road demon, but in the past couple of years, uh, you know, it's sort of been, uh, a question of, can I push myself and keep going on the road, uh, more and more? How many days in a row can I do? Of course it's, it's limited by the number of days I have available and, and off, you know, being that, you know, it's not an especially lucrative thing, but the, the goal is really to just break even at the very least, you know, not, not lose too much in the process. You, you I feel like you were starting to have a question out of all of that. Well, uh, my, my question was going to be because I, I mentioned a few of the places and yeah, there's been a lot more than that because you and I talk almost every day. And I remember 
when when things were still rolling in a, in our our alternate lifetime here our alternate timeline i remember talking to you and you'd be like well i've got this show lined up and then the following weekend i'm here and then the next weekend i'm here so you were just like in different places jumping on buses and traveling and doing all these shows how did that all come about besides the drive to push yourself to say i'm going to get on the road and i'm going to perform this how did that start I mean, that, that is really how that started. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd intended to get into touring several years ago, but circumstances of my life just didn't allow that. Uh, so when they were uh, free once again, I actually, um, it's not true, I had actually been on a couple of mini tours in a smaller capacity in uh, 2013. It really, just, it really just started doing a lot of local shows in New York City and then trying to circle and expand that. I'd say the first person who helped me break out of that was my friend Lee, uh, who is who runs a label called Annihilus Power Electronics, uh, and he does a project called Theologian. That's the main stuff he's, he's known for now. But uh, Annihilus, uh, under that label, he was putting out a lot of music, not just his own, but other people, uh, doing splits and collaborations, as well as just releasing other artists. And uh, every year in August, the anniversary of his label, he'd uh, do a special show. And sometimes it would be a tour, uh, just a mini tour of like, th- you know, two, three, four dates. So I ended up tagging along on one of those in, on the one in, in, um, 2013. So I was basically the DJ slash roadie slash, you know, sound person. It really depends because, you know, we're talking about booking and playing in, in fairly small places. Everything is, uh, there's a phrase I get from a Canadian comic, actually one of my favorites, uh, Cerebus the Aardvark. Uh, there's a character who says, uh, you know, some talking, talking about a committee, which is called the, 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 the get out and push committee. And I always consider myself as uh, the chairman or at least a member of the get out and push committee. You know, we have to, everybody has to chip in and, and get it done. There's no re- room for egos or saying, this is my narrowly defined position on this tour. It's, uh, we're a bunch of guys in, in a van or a car and we have to make this work. And, uh, you know, that's all there is to it. So yeah, I was, I was just helping out in that capacity. And uh, it was really enjoyable, even though I wasn't specifically doing anything myself. Uh, yes. Yeah, playing some songs. I don't even remember if they were on, I think they were on my, on my CDJ. So it wasn't, I wasn't doing the iTunes DJ thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But then after that, he had Compactor come on uh, a much cooler tour in that fall called Autumn Dirges, uh, which was pretty cool. Um, Theologian, uh, Static Bloom, Compactor were the main acts traveling then in each city, we're joined by different artists. It ended up only being three dates because the uh, the Baltimore date fell through, but uh, that was pretty great too. And then I was going to extend that, and you know, I said, okay, well, now that I've done it, we'll, well, with someone else at the helm running the tour, and I'm just sort of along for the ride. You know, now can I do this just myself? And if so, how? You know, so it was just a matter of figuring out the logistics, doing the research, um, you know, and once you start to talk to people and connect to people, once you've been out on a little mini tour tagging along, you start to sort of notice things. You notice how, who people are in each city, not just the other musicians, but the, the 
people who are the promoters, uh, the people who are the bartenders, people who are running the clubs, people are coming to the clubs, things like that. So it's it's just keeping your keeping your ears and eyes open and uh, being nice to people and meeting people and uh, you know hopefully eventually you circle around and reconnect with them and you say hey you know. Uh, Remember me? I, I was thinking of coming through there. And, uh, you know, if, if uh, they're nice enough, uh, they say, yeah, sure, you can do that. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, because you've been able to leapfrog a couple of dates based on a couple of dates where it's like, oh, well, if I get a show here, is it possible to get a show nearby here and here? Because then I can hop on a bus and then go do this show. Because I know that's exactly. been the case uh, when you've come up to Canada where okay, well, I have a show. I think you're, you're, you had something anchored in Ottawa and then you were like, well, can I do Montreal and Toronto? And it's like, well, yeah, we can always work something out and set something up here. And yeah, noise, because it's so specific, it's, it's about getting the right bill together and the right space together. And space has gotten harder and harder to book, book shows. Yeah. But I mean, noise can be specific or it can be broad. It really depends. And like I sort of mentioned with Compactor, there is there's a bit of a range, you know, and there have been times when it's been adapted to the setting. Uh, in fact, uh, on another tour in um, late 2018, which uh, should have been called the Rust Belt tour, except I, I didn't want to. I was afraid that would be a disparaging term. Uh, I've since found out that a lot of people who live in that area, uh, you know, I was calling it the Northern Midwest. Uh, I said, "Oh no, it's we know that's what it's called." Because that was the point. It was like this is the area that has been built up with industrial industrial manufacturing, and then rusted and fallen into disuse and uh, and depression uh, for a lot of people. And it's it's not saying anything bad about the people there or the or the states. It's it's more talking about just what's happened, you know, over time. Sure. But my point was that. Uh, one of those shows had to be adapted because mostly that was more of a it was more of a slow grinding noise experimental tour because that's what was being promoted at the time. It was a, a mainly a split release with uh, a Detroit artist uh, called Vitriol Gage, who is do it does a kind of death industrial along the lines of um, Atrax Morgue. If anybody's familiar with that great Italian artist. Rest in peace, Marco Corbelli. And uh, so the, 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 the tour was ostensibly to promote uh, that. So it was that type of heavy material. But it turned out that the Chicago date ended up having to be at a dance club. That hmm. would be uh, Chicago's kind of, well, it's, it's actually a gay bar, uh, which was really cool. I think it's a gay bar. Um, it was a bar called, I believe it's, Davies, Davies Uptown Ramblers Club. I could be wrong. It may not be a gay bar. It doesn't matter. Uh, all people are welcome. It was a fun night. It was wonderful. It's run by Bo Wanzer, who's a great uh, sort of uh, noisy techno guy in there. He's been doing that night for like 11 years. But it was definitely a dance night. An equivalent in New York City would be uh, the now defunct Weird Party, although it has morphed into Nothing Changes. Shout out to both of those. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, you know, Bo has a really good night going, and it's called Hot on the Heels. So, uh, literally, thanks to a friend of mine in Chicago, shout out to Brandon Elkins, Iron Forest, and many other projects. Uh, I, as sysadmin, had to reconfigure the entire compactor rig for that one show to do a dance set. 
<laughs> out of out of like something like eight or nine days in a row in a tour. Uh, it it, uh, it it can be adaptable, you know. So it was it was still noise, but it was just noise that you could dance to. Hmm. So getting out into different regions of the of the states, especially, do you do you see different crowds or are there different mentalities or you know how different is it when you get out of the northeast as a touring musician? It's it's it can be very different. There's there's a lot of different things, and then there's a couple of uh, things that are the same. Bigger than getting out of the Northeast is just getting out of New York City, and I'm sure Laura can attest to that. Uh, there's there's generally been, although it's changed a bit over the years, there's generally been a New York City crowd attitude of folded arms, and I n- I want you to impress me, or I don't care. I'm I'm gonna stand in the back. I'm here at the show to make the scene. I'm here because my friends are here. I'm gonna drink. You know, I'm gonna have a good time. It doesn't matter who's on stage. That's not entirely true anymore. It depends on uh depends on who's playing, depends on the crowd, depends on the night. But as a New York City native, that's what I've seen a lot of. Uh, and it's unfortunate. Uh there's also really, really devoted people in New York City as well who really care about the music. So I'm certainly not dissing my own town for that. But um, you don't see any of that when you just get out of New York City, and you definitely don't see it in Canada, and you absolutely don't see it in the Midwest. Midwest is is like another world. It's it's wonderful. I started going out there more a couple of years ago. The people are really warm, and like I said, a lot of them come from the punk and hardcore scenes originally, so it's just very much like you look how you look all the time, and uh, you just get up there. You couldn't tell the difference between somebody in the audience and somebody who's on the stage, which may just be a corner of a room, you know, that's, uh, you know, a, a, a beer-stained, piss-stained sometimes uh, corner. Uh, you know, somebody just, you know, pulls up a table full of, of gear that doesn't make any sense and starts uh, wailing and slamming on things. Uh, or whatever it is that they're doing. I know there's there's a there's a huge range of of types of people, but um, the crowds are definitely much more accepting and into it in uh, in in certain midwestern areas. And again, it depends on the night. Uh, it's harder, I'd say, in uh, a lot of places outside of bigger cities like New York to do a show on a night other than Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Even Thursday is pushing it. Yeah, New York City is just so hopping that like you can do a show on a Sunday or a Monday and if you have the right bill you can get a whole bunch of people there you know it'll be successful people will be happy there's some towns you just literally can't do that it's just the uh culture it's the fact that more people have to go to work in the morning in a certain way there's not a lot of wiggle room for people to take off or come in late or whatever it is you know whatever the differences are the thing that's that can be the same through these i guess i already said it it's like the the devotion and and and, and the love and if if people know what they're there for they know the kind of night they're there they're in for and they're just open to experiencing whatever's coming that's that's a really great thing yeah you've mentioned in the past the uh noise festival in Tulsa which I'm like, there's a noise festival in Tulsa. Yeah, that's that's fairly recent. There was not until a couple of years ago. Um, it was started by Matt Hex of Bone Magic, and also part of the. Um, it's come to be taken over by. They just call themselves Tulsa Noise or the Tulsa Noise Collective. They're now, I believe, in conjunction with a local arts community and initiative. Um, they're very cool. They're very open. They're very inclusive. 
uh, with the crowds. And both years, the festival was free, which is pretty amazing. Of course, it also means people are not necessarily getting paid. Uh, you're getting paid by selling your merch, which is which is a, a big thing that goes on in uh, the U.S. especially. I'd say generally how things work here is if you're the one who's asking for the show, it's hard to also ask for a guarantee of making money. You can, it depends on who you are and what level you at, you're at. And you have to be aware of what level you're at. You have to be humble and, you know, not just walk in and say, yeah, I need this show. Oh, and then by the way, um, you're giving me a thousand dollars. No, that's not going to happen. Right. You know, if, if someone else, if you, if you're on the level where you say, for example, there's a band, uh, a duo that are awesome. They've been doing this for 20 years or more, uh, kind of legends in a way in the scene called Pedestrian Deposit. Um, they're uh, a couple that's been in the arts for a long time. They also uh, co-run a great space in Los Angeles called Coaxial with, with a bunch of other people. They can simply announce online that they're going to be doing a tour, and it's going to be between these dates in the months of March, April, and May, and they say, get in touch with us now. That's a different thing because the people will be contacting them and saying, yeah, we want you to play at our spot. And that's when you get to say, okay, well, what are we going to get for playing at your spot? Because you know who we are and you know that other people know who we are. I'm not saying I know exactly how their negotiations go, but I, I'm sure that they're in a better uh, negotiating space than than I am or you know anybody who just goes, hey, I'm going to hop on the bus or hop in the car and, and play some shows. Yeah. Wasn't there mention of another noise festival in the in that area uh, in the Midwest? We were talking about that you were concerned about. Yeah, that that would probably actually definitely that would be um, Kansas City Noise Fest, meaning Kansas City, Missouri. Not that it matters. Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri are kind of together. <laughs> in fact, while I was there, I was actually shuttling back and forth between uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, Leavenworth. Kansas, where my host uh, was living. And th yeah, that's that's quite different there than other places in the Midwest that I've been. Uh, you know, a lot more open plains and uh, uh, different vibe. You just really get a different vibe. And um, the, the issue then that I went, uh, when I went there, was that uh, I was excited to do uh, the festival, meet people uh, that I'd, you know, only spoken to online before, you know, get to meet all kinds of, you know, people, discover what's what's different about this scene in this town. But uh, the NAACP had just uh, issued a travel advisory, which was the first time they'd ever done that, basically saying, um, if you're a person of color, you probably don't want to go to Missouri right now, which was a really strange thing to hear. Like, what does that mean? What What's going down in Missouri? What will happen to you if you're a person of color in Missouri? So I, I expressed my reservations to my host, but I guess I was I was essentially escorted, you know, straight from the airport. Nothing happened. Nothing felt strange. One of the great things about generally, I would say, about the noise scene, especially in the United States, um, is because it comes from punk and it comes from people pulling together and people not having a lot of money. Money usually there's a lot of inclusivity uh so there's there's 
nobody's saying, hey, that person is the wrong color, that person's the wrong gender orientation, that person is the wrong sexual preference, you know, any number of things. You know, there's, there are a lot of people that work really hard at these shows to make them uh, as inclusive as possible. You know, we can't all be perfect at that, but so it turned out to be fine. You know, there, there are performers of color at the show uh, in, in the audience and nobody ever made me feel strange at all. You know, I mean, nobody's seeing my face on this podcast, but I will mention that, you know, although I'm, I'm basically, I'm mixed race to some people. I might be what they call passing. I, personally, I don't see it that it's like, literally, I, you know, I don't see that I'm, I would be taken for 100% white, but I'm just, I'm not as dark as other people. So I know that other people have it a lot worse than I do for all the stuff that I've gone through in my life. There's other people who definitely, definitely have it worse for me, but I've also uh, been a freak for a long time. So somebody with, you know, funky hair, who dresses all in black and also facially doesn't look quite like everybody else in the town, you know, that, that makes me nervous, you know, going to, going to certain places. Uh, you know, there've been other, other parts of the country I've been a bit, um, reticent to go to. I'm not going to name names or anything because I'm not trying to call out anybody's town for being bad. It's, I've just honestly never been there, but I want people to understand that it's, uh, it's, it, it crosses our minds, you know, it's, it's a thought and you think, wow, um, it'd be great if I could stop there somewhere in that state, but I don't know if that's a good idea. Uh, especially if you're, you're traveling on your own or if you're traveling, um, I mean, I, I travel a lot on buses, so that could be good or bad. It's just hard to know because I haven't had the experience, uh, you know, in some of the, 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 the Southern United States that, um, that I've been reticent to go to. Yeah. Uh, I have been to Texas, which has been great to San Antonio, New Orleans, Richmond, Virginia. There's a bunch of places, but, uh, North Carolina, but you know, largely what happens with tours is you are, you're, you're jumping from city to city. You're going for the most part to the most populated, most open-minded, most potentially liberal, whatever you want to call it, uh, area. So those can be relatively safe zones. You know, the, the concern is like, what if we stop on the way? What if, what if this Greyhound bus has, you know, 15 stops? And like when I was going to Atlanta, uh, you know, on the way, you stop at a whole bunch of places and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I want to get out of the bus. In other parts uh, of Georgia or other, other states around there, I would love to. I don't want to think bad, think ill of Georgia or of people that I've, I've never met or anything. You know, Atlanta was great. It was uh, a great show, great crowd. Absolutely the most, you know, it was a, like a cool community center type of place, a former factory or warehouse or something like that. It's, you know, it, yet it's legal. Everybody, like, you know, if, if you were straight and white, you were probably in the minority there. So mm. it, was, it was pretty awesome. But, um, and that was Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, you know, who, who, who'd have thunk? But it's not always like that. That's the concern, you know, that there's places that aren't as open-minded and will just uh, dislike you and give you a bad vibe at the very least, simply by looking at you and deciding that you're not, you don't belong there. It makes it hard to plan, to plan a tour. It, it's certainly a question when you take note of cities within red states, because there aren't really red states, just like there aren't really blue states. There's a lot of purple 
there's a lot of mm-hmm. mix. And I mean, going totally. to Texas, there's a lot of blue spots in Texas, just like there's a lot of blue spots in the Midwest, just like there's a lot of blue spots in the South. So it's always really interesting to kind of feel it out and, and go, am I going to feel safe here? Is this going to be okay? Uh, am I going to get my ass kicked because they decide they don't like the way I look? Uh, and, and it's scary because living in Trump's America, he's emboldened a lot of people who are very open about their bigotry and race, racist views and misogyny and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, definitely. But what I what I do want to add on, on that uh, note is is though obviously anybody who is a person of color or any other minority in the United States who might fear for themselves, we. I don't want to say we have a responsibility, but we don't really want to just abandon those blue areas of the red states. You know, we don't want to not go there. Uh, you don't want to not show people who you are as a person and that you're actually cool and they're actually cool and you can be cool with each other. Or just the fact that, yeah, that there are people, I have friends, you know, in a bunch of parts of Texas, smaller cities and stuff. So, you know, I'd love to go and and see them and uh and do shows and see shows down there and you don't want to just say forget it i can't go there because you know it's a red state or something that doesn't make any sense there's also people who you wouldn't think necessarily are going to be open to something weird like uh what any of us are doing and then it turns out they are uh there was actually what comes to mind right now a show in Indianapolis, um, f- which was actually a benefit, uh, well, a tribute show to a, a fallen friend uh, named Drew Perry, who was a great friend of uh, a bunch of us. Uh, you know, if you've heard of End User, break core artist, DJ Daryl Hell, and uh, uh, some other people, we all put on this uh, show on his birthday in February in Indianapolis. So it drew a very interesting and diverse crowd who had really never seen anything like that before. Play, people playing rhythmic, rhythmic noise and break horn, industrial, uh, you know, breaking things on stage and, uh, you know, causing sparks to fly and, you know, making ridiculously fast distorted beats on laptops and stuff like that. Like, what is going on here? But it was, it was for Drew. And so everybody, his family and friends all came out to see it. And a lot of them were possibly a little bit confused, but it was like, this is Drew's other world. This is maybe what you didn't know about about Drew and his taste in music and friends. And it's great because that exposed that side of things to those people. And uh, in turn, I was exposed to other people. I uh, sat down at the bar and there was a big, bulky military guy and a, a really made-up uh, thin blonde woman. And they asked me, what's going on in that other room? Because this was like in the... in uh, The only place that they could get was like renting out a room in a hotel. So this is basically a hotel bar and they're going, what's going on in there? Loud music. And I was, you know, kind of, I was being a little weird and judgmental myself in my head. I was like, I don't know how to explain this to them. They don't know. I said, yeah, it's just, so it's industrial music and it's, you know, explain it as a tribute to our friend and everything. And the military guy just got all excited and he said, yeah. And he started telling me how at one point he, he was in the secret service and he was uh, protecting you know, 
people that the Secret Service protect. And but at the same time, he was running and going out to all night raves and like going to see bands like Ministry and you know getting you know just blotto and like hearing this incredibly loud aggressive <laughs> music, and that this you know helped sustain him through the rest of the day and the rest of his job. And I was like, just wow. And and the woman was really interested and receptive. Uh, we just talked back and forth, and it was it was just really great. And just any barriers that might have been there just came down, and it was just people talking and sharing their experiences. And it was it was a wonderful thing to happen. It's one of the great things that can happen on tour. And if you uh, if you close yourself off to the places that might seem a little bit iffy to you, then you're going to have a pretty boring time. You know, there was, a, there was a CD put out a while ago called Music for the Same 500 People. <laughs> At this point, it's probably Music for the Same 50 People, but uh, you get the point. It, you don't really want to do that. You know, it's you're, you're preaching to the converted. Yeah. That's fun. It's great. Bless the people who keep coming back. But uh, there's no point in being so insular and so closed off that uh, you literally can't let anybody else in to hear what you're doing and uh, possibly understand, especially if you're, you're really trying to get something across with what you're doing. So are there a lot of differences? I mean, you've mentioned Canada. Have you been to Europe? And what's it look like over there? I may mean, have been to other countries, but only in a, in, a, in a touring sense, actually, to Helsinki, Finland, which was a pretty great experience. And I have uh, my friend Stephen Petrus to thank of that. He, uh, he has a great project called Murderous Vision. And uh, that only happened really by chance because both of us are big fans of the Swedish label Cold Meat Industry. Uh, I'm certain that's how we know each other through talking through internet lists many years ago. Um, about the label and its releases. And uh, they had a 30th anniversary festival that was happening. And as soon as I heard about that, I was like, I'm not a big uh, vacation person. You know, I'm usually like, I have to do something besides. And so I, and I it was like, this seems pretty indulgent to fly to Sweden to go see a bunch of bands that, you know, I haven't generally thought about or you know, bought stuff of theirs in years, but it was just too tempting to not go. And I said, fine, I'll just, I'll buy the tickets and then I'll figure out how I'm going to get there later. And I bought the tickets. And then for some reason, I immediately wrote to Stephen, probably he'd been posting about it online. And I said, well, I bit the bullet. I bought my tickets for the CMI Fest. And he said, yeah, um, that's really cool. I just got to figure out. And he mentioned something about Helsinki. And I said, Helsinki is in Finland. This is Sweden. What do the two have to do? He goes, oh, well, I'm turning this into a working vacation. After I go to the show in Sweden, I'm going to play in Finland. Hey, do you want me to get compactor on that show? So it was a uh, yes because now that completely justifies my reason for going, and it's a good thing I hadn't bought the tickets yet. So that was pretty great. It was a, uh, a secret show in a way. Basically happened, it was kind of the most industrial show ever, because it happened in a shipping container in the middle of nowhere outside of Helsinki in November. So it was pretty freaking industrial and cold and everything. This shipping container... Basically, if you have 10 people in there, it's a sold-out show, and it was. So you had people that were coming from miles and miles around. There was one show attendee who had been on a bus for five hours, and we went and picked him up to bring him to the show. All of the merch was sold out, which is great. That's just how 
you make the money uh, in some cases, like I mentioned, even in America, you know, it's just, I guess they could have, you know, charged a, a fee at the door or something. They just went whatever, but um, that's how they chose, they they support there. They just said, what do you, you got for sale? And they bought everything and was like, okay, that, that works out. But um, yeah, that, that was pretty great. You had those uh, people that were clearly so into it, they were willing to travel for five hours to come and see a show in a cold shipping container <laughs> and have their ears blasted was so that was that was a wonderful wonderful experience hmm. yeah i would i would love to play more in uh in europe uh in fact that was the plan <laughs> for this fall uh was to have a, have a release on the awesome uh, ohm resistance label and for that to be uh synced up with shows in Europe, uh, at the very least in Germany. And uh, that that's not happening now. So that's postponed until further notice. But it, it will be happening in the future. We just don't know when or how <laughs> it will happen in the future. Well, that's just it. Exactly. So many shows that should have been happening this year because it was lining up that 2020 was going to be this amazing year for all these artists touring, being able to see concerts, and then that was not going to happen because pandemic. What do you think the future of shows are going to be like? Because I think, again, with the pandemic, with all this that's happened, the way that we're functioning in society and all the things that have been broken and all the things that now we have to be aware of, and all, uh, the things that we're practicing and making sure, oh, be masked, be socially distant, be this, be this, and and taking all these precautions, what do you think the future of shows is going to be like? Uh, I mean, personally, I'm not really behind doing shows until things are a lot safer than they are. And by safer, there's really only one or two things that we're talking about. One, there's a vaccine that's been proven to have a high efficacy. And second of all, treatments for people that have uh, the virus for them to be, you know, for them to not potentially kill them. Uh, or, you know, I mean, we're basically talking about, uh, you know, something that is, it's it's like the AIDS epidemic again, except not, you know, uh, not specifically aimed at any one group of, of people. Although, of course, they discovered it's not only one group of people for that either. But it was thought to be at first. Uh, when there's a similarity there, everybody thinks, "Oh, it was only uh, only old people, or if you have compromised immune system." No, those are just the people that are going to die right away. You can still get really messed up by this. So uh, shows happening uh, after, presumably, these things have been taken care of. You know, there's a couple different ways it can go. Uh, first of all, unfortunately, you already have tons of venues closing. They're saying permanently, I can only hope that all of these wonderful uh, loans and things, small business loans that people are offering, will eventually be offered again on the other side of this so that people who have run successful businesses up until this point can start over. They can reopen under the same name, under a new name, whatever it is, new location, you know, do some rebuilding, you know. But until that happens, as we've seen, people are willing to do things and go out of their way to be in each other's company, whether it's safe or not, which to me just screams DIY. I think there's going to be a lot of DIY stuff going on. Uh, I understand everybody wants to be safe. It's incredibly important, especially in a post-ghost ship 
world, you know, in the U.S. that became such a huge title change of, of DIY shows for several years, probably still lasting until now. So this is, this is the next big thing that's obviously affecting even more people, but they're still going to happen. It's unfortunate that they're not DIY, often means not especially illegal, uh, but that doesn't necessarily have to mean that it means not safe. Uh, you know, as long as people operate their spaces in a safe manner, in, in, any, in every way that you can think of that phrase, you know, I, I see no problem with that. Um, the other way that things can go, and probably will go, is that uh, only the absolute biggest, fattest cats will survive. The people that are bankrolled by the biggest corporations uh, that have the money to just, boom, reopen once it's deemed safe enough. Already there are clubs in New York City that are opening up because they have rooftops. I'm not going to criticize them whatever, if they think they can do it properly and safely, if they think they can police the people and make sure that they're, nobody's acting the fool, uh, everybody's sufficiently distanced and masked, um, you know, I can't stop you. Uh, personally, I'm not going to go. I would love to. Every time I think, oh, that's happening, I could go. I could do this. I can't. I, I don't can't. blame you. But yeah, on, on the other side, those are those are those are my uh, those are those are three of the options that I foresee happening. You know, you've got DIY, you've got hopefully people getting um, the mid-sized, small and mid-sized clubs getting loans to open up again, and you've got the big clubs uh, just popping right open. My concern about that last one, especially or even mid-sized ones, is that everything's going to get more expensive for everybody to do, and that's going to be a bigger problem the more outside of the box you are and your night is, because clubs are going to be even harder core uh, about making back the money. And harder core, maybe we're going to see more pay-to-play options. People saying, oh, you want to play the club? Fine, you're renting the club for the night. It's going to be $1,000 or whatever right. it is. You're not going to have people doing door, door splits anymore, which is what usually happens on this level. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough for a while. And the fact that there's a whole industry of workers and people that are in that realm. There are sound men. There are stage people. There are bartenders, there are everybody that works at all of these clubs and venues is having a really rough time right now. And uh, they, they don't get they don't get a shout out enough. And, uh, you know, I want to say that too. I want to say a shout out to all those people who do those jobs. They're difficult. They are generally unsung. But without it, uh, everybody would just be doing everything yourselves. We'd be having all the shows in our houses, right. uh, which uh, sometimes you can do and usually you can't. Right, right, right. Would you consider doing a compactor show or doing a compactor shift online? Uh, there's actually definitely going to be one. Unless one happens sooner, really depends on some technical uh, issues right now. There will definitely be one in October. Uh, yeah. First weekend of October, last year, there was a compactor shift at the longest running noise festival in the U.S., which is NorCal Noise Fest out of Sacramento. So uh, this year, uh, Lob of Instagon uh, and uh, William of uh, blanking on his project's name, that's going to be really awkward later. Sorry, Will. They uh, are, have resolved to do this online uh, so uh, it's gonna it's gonna get worked out. It's basically the same rules. Everybody only gets 15 minutes, and uh, Lob's gonna introduce all the bands, and 
it's a it's a pretty diverse thing. Only now, uh, instead of people traveling to Sacramento to play their sets, everybody's going to do them from their mm. homes, um, which is going to be similar to stuff that we've seen a lot. You see a lot of people uh, in their houses. You get to see what their basements look like and things like that. Oh, for so, sure, for sure. Um, yeah. So uh, there, there. Ho- hopefully, there'll be more of that. It's a question of. Uh, being able to uh, make sure that the quality of it is high, that it's uh, at least gets across some of the experience of being there. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure for some people it's very, I've heard that it's very imposing and, and strange to see the worker working and the, the, the volume and the sound coming out. If you're not uh, familiar with noise or things that are really loud and heavy and rhythmic um, and you don't understand what's going on. Why is there this strange figure in a mask and a hat? I don't, what are they doing? What is this? What, what, what even is that on, on the table? I don't, I don't, are those instruments? I don't, I don't know. Understand. It could be an so, empty tin of you know, cat it's, food. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it, ju- it just, it just like a story be. right there. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is true. We uh, might as well might as well come clean. At one point, uh, the worker was lacking in a metal object to contact Mike and uh, and uh, mess with. Um, and uh, Mistress McCutcheon was to the rescue with an empty tin of cat food, which it turns out, if you contact Mike and run it through some reverb and scrape that with some interesting objects, it sounds. <laughs> pretty great and you don't even know that it that's worked what really it is. well it, uh you'd have to look really close and go hold on that's a i was at that show i was wondering what you were doing um <laughs> that's some fancy feast going on there <laughs> except that wasn't me that was, was the, worker. the worker remember i'm just the sys admin i left the room and i did not come back and i didn't later. know what the worker was using there but it is it is an imp- impressive yeah. yet as you said imposing look it works. I, I thought it was great. Yeah. So there's there's a bunch of things that as sysadmin I'm trying to put into practice waiting on a new webcam. Uh, there's already a green screen in the house. There's some organization that has to be done in the studio uh, here. So um, once those things are worked out, yeah, that that is the plan. There's also, <clears throat> it's been floated online that there might be a Patreon or Bandcamp subscription thing happening. And if that happens, then these would need to be regular occurrences in order to make sure that people get their uh, money's worth. Literally, if you cannot see the worker working a live shift in your town, then at least this is a way that it can happen. So, yeah. I'm I'm excited to get that set up as soon as I get all the correct gear in place. That's what's got to happen for now. Well, that and folks can check you out fairly regularly DJing because you are also DJ Chthonic. So, yeah, I, you, when you I, I've completely blanked because we we ended up getting into something else as you do as <laughs> as I do. Um but uh, we were talking about dark techno coming into things it's like, well, gosh, you know, that's <laughs> I'm spinning dark techno, deep techno, a bunch of, you know, interconnected techno subgenres. Uh, you know, turns out techno doesn't suck. I never I'm not sure I ever thought it totally sucked, but uh, it just like any genre, I would say, it, you know, 95 percent crap. And you got to find the 5 percent that you think is worth spending your time on. So that's what I share with people. 
So where can folks tune in to hear you, DJ? Well, my own channel is uh, twitch.tv slash streams, but right now, uh, for the month of July anyway, I've been uh, spinning every Thursday on uh, also twitch.tv slash Productions, and that's squarewave, W-A-V, just like the audio file, not like the ocean. Thanks to David Christian of uh, Chavello Atronico. I know that I screwed up the pronunciation of that, and he's going to hurt me. <laughs> Cervello Electronico. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, so I'm not sure if that's going to continue. There's uh, another channel called Interference Radio. Same thing, twitch.tv slash Interference Radio that I've been on and uh, will probably be on again in August. So just various, various channels floating around. Usually Twitch, that's what's happening these days. Sometimes people might do on Mixcloud, and if you miss the Twitch broadcast, it will almost inevitably end up on SoundCloud as a mix you can listen to anytime at mix, sorry, mixcloud.com slash DJ. And for your record label, what, what releases do you have coming up? Oh, I'm glad you asked that because I would have completely forgotten it, I swear. Coming up, got uh, three CDs, because CDs are still a valid format, damn it. The first one uh, that actually was already released last year is called Abscission by my friend Stephen Petrus, Murderous Vision, which I mentioned earlier. We worked together on this last year. It was a four-track cassette that was released and sold out of its 50 copies. So Stephen said, hey, I'd like to reissue that on CD. Let's do a couple more songs in the same vein. So that's what we're doing. That's already at the uh, plant being replicated. Uh, at the same time, uh, and that's, I, have, I need to mention, that's a co-release between my label, Chthonic Streams, and his label, Live Bait Recording Foundation. At the same time, uh, I'm also dropping the first solo album by Elizabeth Ferosa of Snow Beasts, which is a great, great electronic duo out of Providence, Rhode Island, um, they started off as dark ambient, they moved into beats, always these icy sounds and ethereal things, ethereal female vocals. So she's doing her own thing by herself, although he did uh, master it. There are a couple. And uh, so that album is part of it. That's going to be in a, in a special package because as we mentioned earlier, I love doing special packaging. There's almost uh, so many people just download things or stream things. I feel like if you're going to uh, give something to somebody in a physical format, you you want to make it really special and have them hold it and look at it and go, wow, I'm really glad I have this thing. It's not just a piece of plastic. Um, and finally, uh, my former band, Dream Into Dust, I am releasing all of the compilation tracks that were on various compilations uh, over a course of a couple of years, as well as a couple of songs that were meant for compilations that never came out. And that'll be coming in a in an like an A5 or a half-letter-sized booklet in sort of in tribute to a lot of those compilations, which mainly came out in Europe, and that's, that's the style there. So those three things are coming out uh, soon, um, in, uh, within the next uh, month, and we're going to start the pre-order for them on the next Bandcamp Friday, uh, August 7th. So I'm pretty psyched about that. So on the next Bandcamp Friday is also when we're going to be doing our next edition of Prophecy with the Two of Us. So, you know, maybe I we could get some uh, probably some dream into dust in there again. 
for you. Yeah. Maybe get you some pre-orders. Uh, that would be cool. Except that you guys haven't heard this one. And I don't know if it's actually something that you'd play on the show. I would be honored. I've been really happy that you guys have played uh, stuff in the past from it. But uh, yeah, this is a weird one. Yeah, because Suspended <laughs> in Fear and Perfect Vision are, are bangers. They're great for a dance floor. So I don't know what you've got. Oh, thank you. Hidden up your sleeve that you're about to release. but Nothing yeah, like yeah. that. I'm gonna pre-order it. So yeah, no, this is this is this is this is all the weird stuff. No, I'd love it. I'm just I'm just talking about in terms of in terms of the show. Having been a goth DJ or any kind of dance DJ, I know that you don't literally have a dance floor to keep going. But this is the kind of thing that if I were to put it on, people would you know the, the promoter would be looking at me like no and like making making the Get slice the motion out. underneath their 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 chin. Yeah. <laughs> like segue into something else. No, it's it's cool stuff. I'm really proud of it. It's just absolutely not uh of the of the the danceable nature. These were all on these very odd European uh labels with with strange themes and uh they they were these very bizarre studio pieces that could never be played live or or danced to unless you unless you wanted to hurt yourself. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. We'll be sure to include in the show notes the various links of your projects, as well as where folks can check out the record label and the various Twitch channels where you're DJing and how to spell the name correctly. Derek, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. So that wraps it up for this episode. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share and all that good stuff. Getting the word out about the podcast really helps us out a lot because we do this for no money. Uh, we just love what we do. And talking about music, especially talking about music with friends is, is really great. And uh, we appreciate the listening. We do have stickers with our logo and artwork on it. They're still available. If you want to grab one, just go to morbidoutlook.com slash sticker and you can buy one or two or four or however many you like. And I'll be sure to throw them in an envelope and uh, send them on to you. And of course, if you have any feedback about an individual program or something, you just want to say hi, we have our email at it's midnight somewhere podcast, all one word at gmail.com. And of course, there's Facebook. Feel free to reach out and thank our producer, Justin Minister, as well as Robin Bright for our theme music and Marion Green, who does the artwork on the cool stickers. So until next time.